0: "...which had been on his head with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then entered in, therefore, the other disciple also, who had first come to the tomb, and he saw, and he believed. And as, for as yet they had not under, did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes." But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she beheld two angels in white, sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. And when she had said this, she turned around and, behold, and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. In verse 30, Many other signs therefore Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, we are um, grateful beyond words for what you have accomplished on our behalf in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that our sins have been washed away. We have been totally forgiven, brought into right standing with you. You have truly lavished us with your grace and your kindness. We thank you that Jesus is risen and he is our victor and our hope, our peace, our joy. He is life itself. We ask God that you would strengthen, encourage our hearts, and that you would be honored and praised as we look at your word together. In Christ's name, amen. May be seated. If you've been here for a while, you've probably heard me say at the beginning of most Easter services that I've preached that I received Christ on an Easter Sunday when I was 10 years old, and that was over 50 years ago now, hard to believe. And I can tell you of all the sermons I have to preach every year, I look forward to this one honestly the least. Um, It rejoices my heart more than anything else to talk about Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, but I feel so um, unable to effectively communicate, and I know that it has to be by the Spirit of God. That Easter Sunday so many years ago, I know it was by the Spirit of God and Him alone that I understood for the first time how much Jesus loved me. And what he had done for me and giving himself for me. And, um, and it was the joy of my heart then, and it is today, to have received him as um, the Lord and Savior that he is. But I um, can make myself almost sick in anticipation of today. And um, I woke up the other morning, middle of the night, with my heart just pounding, racing. And um, and I was in the just think, dreaming about this message today. Um, so I thought it is not about me, obviously being able to effectively communicate. It is about our exalted Lord Jesus Christ. So I thought I would start this morning just by reading some of the <laughs> passages in the New Testament that talk about Jesus exalted. This is about the resurrection of Christ, but he rose to be exalted, and he ascended on high. Philippians 2 tells us, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. There are so many problems in this world today. And so many people that think that the answer is anything other than Jesus. And one day, every knee will bow and every knee will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hebrews 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, and he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Probably no passage of scripture shows the exalted Christ more powerfully and clearly than in Revelation Revelation 4, 8, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Worthy art thou, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. And then in chapter 5, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them with myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing." and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. And all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And we get to be there one day. And we live in the reality of that in the hope of being with Him because Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead. Ephesians tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because of Christ. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us. Peter tells us that His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We are rich because of Christ. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And it's in that book that we have one of the clearest Decorations of hope in the resurrection. Job says in Job 19, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Wow. This was more than 1,000 years before Christ. David lived at about 1,000 B.C. Job was another at least 500 years before that. No book of the Bible had been written. He predates Moses. I know that my redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. It's Job nineteen twenty-five and twenty-six. Job was a probably a contemporary of Abraham. And we know that Abraham, from Romans chapter 4, when God told him that he'd be the father of many nations, and he says he looked at his own body as good as dead, and he looked at Sarah, not able to bear, and he considered God, who was able to bring in into being that which does not exist, and to raise the dead. So we have the two oldest saints really mentioned in the Bible, Abraham and Job, who had fixed their hope, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for us, it's done. Historical reality. Not just a hope, it's a fact. Because the Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead, And I just went through and and looked at many of the New Testament references that talk about the significance of Christ's resurrection and how it impacts us. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, I should have no doubt about who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. Romans 1, 4 says, Who has, was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, I should have no doubt that the Word of God is true. It's said that Jesus would be raised, and He was. The Word of God is therefore true in everything else that it says, especially regarding His return and our resurrection. Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, I should have no doubt about my justification before God. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up because of our transgressions and he was raised up because of our justification. Because Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead, I can have hope. This life is not all that there is and death is not the end. Jesus is himself our hope, Scripture says. I can know that Christ lives to save me. He is the very dynamic of my salvation. I can actively trust in Him who lives and lives to save me. My salvation is not mere acquiescence to truth. It is dependence upon Christ who lives. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by His life. I can have confidence that He hears me when I pray, and He intercedes Himself for me. Romans eight thirty four Christ Jesus is he, is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Because Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead, He is the head of all things. He has conquered death, and He is owed my obedience. Because Christ has been raised, all will be raised. All die in Adam and all will be raised in Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, there is no excuse for a self-indulgent life. Moral direction, selfless obedience, self-renunciation are reasonable. They are warranted. They are not extreme or foolish. 1 Corinthians 15.32 says, If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Judgment will follow resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We should fear God, because the Scripture says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead, I am no longer in Adam or in my sins. I am in Christ. Therefore, I can stop sinning. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 34 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, we can be and should be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For 1 Corinthians 15 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. And if Christ is not raised from the dead, there is no resurrection. There is no salvation. There is no hope. We are still in our sins. Faith is useless. Living morally is pointless. Living an immoral, self-absorbed, hedonistic life becomes reasonable and normal. If Christ is not raised from the dead, we have no reason to be steadfast or to do good. But if there is a resurrection, if Christ himself has been raised, then to live in submission to Christ who has defeated sin and death, having abolished its rule and authority and power, becomes our privilege. Dwight Pentecost spoke both to our identification with the crucifixion of Christ and our identification with his resurrection. Regarding our identification with the crucifixion of Christ, he says, I do not know of any doctrine that is more comforting or more helpful to the child of God than this scriptural doctrine of co-crucifixion with Christ. You see, God is not asking us to break the power of sin. God is not asking us by resolution or by determination to abstain from sin. God is telling us that he, what He has accomplished. He is telling us that he has set us free, and this freedom is ours by faith. Just as we have come into personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ by faith in Christ, so by faith we come into victory. We come into the experiential enjoyment of this freedom by faith in Christ, reckoning that what God says is truth, reckoning that we have been crucified with with Christ. Consequently, sin's power of us over us has been broken and we can walk in the newness of life. In our resurrection with Christ, Pentecost adds, it may well be that you are stumbling and falling in your Christian life because you have never given yourself or presented yourself to God by an act of your will. God the Holy Spirit cannot continuously empower you to righteousness and true holiness, cannot manifest the resurrection life of Christ in you until you have first of all yielded, presented, submitted yourself unto God. But when you, recognizing your responsibility and loving the God who has laid that responsibility on you by an act of will, present yourself, then you become one who has, has been sacri- sacrificed and yet lives. The Christian life begins when one accepts Jesus as personal Savior. One begins living the Christian life when he presents himself as a sacrifice to God. That he may continually be walking by the Spirit. Have you ever done this? It occurs to me that maybe the three greatest declarations ever made. The first is, from John 1930, when Jesus said from the cross the last words that John records him as saying, three words. One word in the Greek. It is finished. And what is the it? Everything. There is nothing Jesus left undone. Everything that needed to take place for God's justice and wrath to be fully satisfied on our behalf. The big word that Scripture used, for God to be propitiated. It has happened. It is done. There is nothing more that the Holy God of Heaven requires of us than what Christ satisfied on that cross. Nothing more. And because it is finished, all of our sin has been paid for. Past, present, and future. We could never work. We could never earn what Jesus Christ has accomplished. We cannot today try to make ourselves good. We have to live in the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is not only a statement of what God requires for sin, it is God's statement on us ourselves. No man would ever be good enough to merit the forgiveness of God. No man would ever be good enough to secure the righteousness of God. No man will ever stand before God and say, God, I did my best, and that ought to be enough. God will say, your righteousness is as filthy rags. There is only one who ever lived a sinless life. And in God's love for us, he gave him for us. And the work that he accomplished is absolutely finished we say thank you. The second, perhaps greatest, declaration ever made is when the angel said to those women at the tomb, he is risen. He is risen. Not only is the work of atonement and redemption done, it is finished. There is nothing we have to add to it. But the one who gave himself for us is alive. And he lives to make intercession for us. He lives to save us, as Roman 5 says. We are not alone. And our hope and confidence is not in something Jesus did. It is in Jesus himself. He personally is our hope, a living hope. He is risen. And then the last statement, is the last thing recorded in the bible that Jesus says. And it's in Revelation 22:20 20, when Jesus says, "Behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly." You put those three things together and there's hope. And there's also great seriousness. It is done finished, complete, praise God. We live in the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. There is nothing we will ever need to do to add to that. He is risen. One of my grandsons, a few months back, I was talking to him about this is about Jesus and what Jesus had done and that he had died for us and And he hasn't quite grasped that yet. And he says, No, Pop, he did not die. And I'm thinking, Do I have a Muslim on my hands here or something? (laughs) And, And I said, Why would you say that? And he says, Because I talk to him all the time. And I could not talk to him if he were dead out of the mouth of babes. He is risen. He is alive. And we have a living hope. He is coming quickly. Amen? He's coming quickly. It is not a complicated message. Paul emphasized that in his letter to the Corinthians. Simple. Simple. God took on humanity. Jesus, the Son of God, became a man. He lived sinlessly as God has intended us from the very beginning. He died in our place as a substitute for you and me. He did so while we were his enemies. We didn't love him, didn't care about him. We mocked him, hated him, went our own way as sheep that go astray. Yet he died in our place. In doing so, he completely satisfied God. He took on humanity, he lived sinlessly, he died in our place, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell all those who have placed their faith in him. That they might have the divine enabling, the dynamic of God's life itself to live this life that he has given us. It's not complicated. It's a simple message. Our sins have been paid for and removed. Death has been defeated. We are justified and declared righteous through faith in him alone. Because Christ is risen from the dead, we have hope, we have victory, we have freedom, we have peace, we have joy, we have life itself. Everything has changed. Nothing has been unaffected. We are no longer separated, alienated, without hope or enemies of God. And this is not something that we have to try to make ourselves feel. It is the simplicity of truth which one is to accept simply by faith. I confess to you that I came into this message just thinking, God, what must I do to be effective? And that sentiment in itself is so contrary to the cross of Christ and His resurrection because we have to do nothing, can do nothing, or expected to do nothing to add to what Jesus has done. The gospel is the very power of God unto salvation, and it does not need anyone's help or assistance. And my prayer is that just in the simple things that I've said this morning, and as you go throughout this day, that you would not let your mind stray away from the person of Jesus Christ, The exalted one who sits on high, who humbled himself to become a man, obedient to the point of death, and is now the one that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. One writer says that one thing that often happens when a person does give himself to Jesus, when he receives Christ, putting his faith in him as his savior, is that the conscience can become more awakened than it's ever been before. Once it was dead, now it is alive. And when that happens, sometimes we just, the conscience and and, and, and the conviction that we can feel can somehow emotionally outstrip the emotions of the reality of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So he says, When we believed, our awakened conscience may have become acutely sensitive, and this can constitute a real problem to us. The sense of sin and guilt can become so great, so terrible, almost to cripple us, by causing us to lose sight of the true effectiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ. It seems to us that our sins are so real, and some particular sin may trouble us so many times that we come to the point where to us our sins loom larger than the blood of Christ. Now, the whole trouble with us is that we are trying to sense it. We are trying to feel its value and to estimate subjectively what the blood is, is for. We cannot do it. It does not work that way. The blood is first for God to see. We then have to accept God's valuation of it. In doing so, we shall find our salvation. If instead we try to come to evaluation by the way of our feelings, we get nothing. We remain in darkness. No, it is not a matter. It, it is a matter of faith in God's Word. We have to believe that the blood is precious to God because He says it is so. If God can accept the blood as payment for our sins and as the price of our redemption, then we can rest assured that the debt has been paid. If God is satisfied with the blood, then the blood must be acceptable. Our value of it, valuation of it is only according to His valuation. The blood has satisfied God. It must satisfy us also. What this author is making reference to is two things in the Old Testament pertaining to the blood, which was a picture of Christ who would give Himself for us. The first is the Passover. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. In that very first Passover back in Egypt, God said to every head of the household, Take a lamb, either that of a sheep or of a goat, and um, have it in your house. And on the fourth day that you have it in your house, you prepare it to eat. But you will take its blood and you're going to paint the blood all around the outside of the door. Down the sides, over the top, the whole doorway is going to be surrounded in blood. And then you're going to go in the house and you're going to eat that lamb. And then God says, I'm going to pass over Egypt in every single place that does not have that blood painted across the door, then the firstborn son in each of those homes will die. So the point the author is making is that blood was not for the people in the house to see. It was for God outside the house to see. So they went in the house by faith, accepting that as God saw the blood, God would say the blood is enough, and he'd pass over. The same thing with the high priest who once a year went into the Holy of Holies with a basin of blood. And he would sprinkle some blood on the mercy seat, the altar, the Ark of the Covenant. He was there alone. No one was with him. The curtain was closed behind him. And no one saw what was happening except for God. The blood of Jesus Christ is shed on our behalf, but for God to accept and he has and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof positive that God has accepted what Jesus has done on our behalf and our sin hasn't just been covered it has been absolutely forgiven and removed and we have been cleansed and purchased by that very blood we are no longer our own we have been bought with a price we are temples of God Because the Spirit of God has come to indwell all those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now it is His life to live. We live contradicting the gospel. We live unworthy of the gospel. When we try to do the best we can for God. When the gospel is, there is nothing we could do to save ourselves. All we could do is receive of what Christ has done for us. We were helpless and ungodly and enemies of God. And at the right time, God sent His Son to die for us. And in doing so, demonstrates His love for us. And we still live saying, thank you, God, for this free gift that You have given. And every day of our lives, we live not trying to do our best, not trying to perform But coming before him and saying, Jesus, you are life itself. And I will never have any hope, any confidence, any ability apart from you. Thank you that you live to live in us, even as you came into this world to give yourself for us. You are still absolutely available to us each day, each moment that you give us breath. It's not a complicated message simple, and it is the greatest thing we've ever heard. It's truly good news. I pray today that every heart here is open to Jesus and that you, with an open heart, would simply receive. There is nothing God is asking for any person to do and other than receive the gift that is offered to you. Jesus, thank you, save me. And we praise God that those who have placed their faith in him, the scripture says, will not be disappointed. I'll close this in prayer. God, I can't thank you enough for my own salvation. I think of those famous statements by John Newton that at the end of his life, so much that he could not remember, but he said, I still remember this. I am a great sinner, and I have a great Savior. We can all say the same. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for your love for us, oh God. Thank you for giving your Son for us. It's incomparable, God, what you've done. And God, we thank you that He lives, and we know He lives. Thank you that we can address you, that we can come before you in confidence, not on our merits, but on His you tell us we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help and grace in our time and need. We thank you, God, for all those that you've brought into our life who have also received the free gift of eternal life. And we have no greater longing, God, for those that we love than that they would be born again from above by your Holy Spirit. So we ask you, God, to work on those hearts, to win them, to woo them, to draw them to yourself. We pray that you would use us, Lord, as you would please to speak lovingly and clearly of Jesus and of our need of him. I pray, God, that our families would be yours and that we would be bound together by more than physical ties. For each and every person in our family, Lord, we would have that supreme joy of being bound together in Christ. Of having that oneness, God, that is because of Christ's blood and not our own, which will be eternal. We pray, Father, that we would live in a world that is completely lost. Really insane in its rebellion against you. That we would be lights in this world. And that we would not despair. We would not stray away from the living hope of Jesus Christ. We know in times past, God, you have absolutely transform peoples societies because of the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the very power of God unto salvation and we pray that you would do so again in this nation and that we Lord would be your vessels to humbly joyfully live lives of hope and that others would come into that hope through faith in Christ Thank you that we can gather together. And we thank you most of all, God, for the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. And that one day we will be with him. In Jesus' name, amen.